0: So I want to talk about the gospel reading and specifically the parable of... Mike's translation was different. He said gold pieces. Most of your translations will say minas. And what I want to do is also compare it with Matthew 25 where you have the parable of the talents. Starting in verse 14... For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he who had the two talents made two talents more but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money now after a long time the master of these servants came and settled a council with them and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying master you delivered me five talents I have thus made five talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant I'm not going to actually read the rest of it but you get the picture several differences that are important first off where these parables were delivered the parable in Luke was delivered in Jericho he's on his way to Jerusalem for the final time and he comes through Jerusalem and he gives the parable of the Minas and the whole purpose of that parable is because people were expecting him to re-establish the kingdom. He's obviously the Messiah. People are excited, all that kind of stuff, and they want this kingdom reestablished. So what he does is he gives this parable of the Minas to tell them, no, I'm not going to establish the kingdom yet. Now, they don't understand that, but... That's the purpose of that particular parable. In the parable in Matthew, what we're talking about is the Olivet Discourse. And that was given on the Mount of Olives. And it was given just with His disciples. And so you have, starting in Matthew 24, this long discourse on what's going to happen, going all the way from His crucifixion to new heaven and the new earth, basically. So the parable of the talents is part of that discourse and it's only to his own disciples. The master who goes away are different in the two parables. So in the Luke parable you have a nobleman who is going away to receive a kingdom. In the Matthew parable it's simply a rich guy that's going on a trip. It doesn't specifically say why he's going anywhere. It just says he's going and he's going to come back. But it doesn't say who he is. doesn't say why he's going, any of that kind of thing. Whereas, as I say, in the Luke parable, what you have is this guy's a nobleman. He is going to receive a kingdom. So another difference is in the Luke parable, his enemies say we don't want this guy to rule over us they send a delegation to say don't give this guy power we don't like him we don't want him ruling over us that does not exist in the Matthew parable and then the amounts are staggeringly different Amina according to my commentary is about sixty days wages for a common laborer two months' salary a talent is about twenty years of wages for a common laborer so you have wildly different amounts of money involved here what isn't clear from the Luke passage is he calls ten servants and he gives them a mina. It isn't clear whether he gives one mina to each of ten. I think that's what happens but it's not entirely clear. And then finally what we have is two of the servants and by the way in the Luke passage we don't know what happened with the other seven servants because we only talk about three. You have one that does very well, another who does well and then a third who is afraid And that's the same in both of the parables, both the Matthew and the Luke parable. The third servant is afraid, and that's why he doesn't do anything. So you have two that go out and invest and do what the master expects, and you have one who, because of his fear of the master, won't do anything. The third one gets yelled at, obviously. So what's going on here? In the first one, what he's talking about is a kingdom. The second one he's talking about is commerce. Now, one of the things to understand is in both cases, the master is wealthy. The master understands that trading, business, etc. involve risk. So, the problem with the third servant in both cases is that he was afraid of what the master would do were he to lose the money. And what the master is saying parenthetically is the fact that you may have lost my money is not of primary concern to me. Because again, I know what it takes to make money. I know how to do business. I know how to trade. I understand that sometimes a trade doesn't go well. Sometimes you lose money. Sometimes that happens. it's important to understand that the deal isn't how much did he bring back the deal is did you go out and do what the master told you to do and in the case of the third servant in both cases they didn't do it because they were afraid and specifically they were afraid of losing the masters money the other thing is in business if you have an agent and that's what these guys are they're agents which is to say that they have been entrusted with resources and they have been expected use their judgment to manage those resources and the agent is expected to earn a commission or a feedback of his own off of that trading so it's not the case that if the agent comes back with ten He's actually probably made more because he is able to gain his own living off of what was invested. It is not the case that this guy just invests and has to figure out some other way of making a living in the meantime. So where it says, all right, take that away and give it to the one who has the 10. And people say, well, Lord, he's got 10. First thing to understand is it's not the servant's money. It's the master's money. So what the master is doing is he is taking his money and he is investing his money with the servant who is successful. I don't know about you but if I had a money manager I would certainly keep track of what he did and assuming that he did well I would invest more with him. Assuming he didn't do well I would invest less with him. You have three servants, one very competent, one competent, one afraid. So what the master does is he takes the money that was invested with the fearful guy and he gives it to his most successful servant, which just makes sense. So the comment that, wait a minute, Lord, he's got ten. You could take that to mean, he has 10, why are you giving him more? In other words, he's got enough. But that isn't what's being said. What's being said is, he has 10, he is getting commission off of the 10 that he is working with. Why are you giving more and he'll get more of commission? That's the way to look at that, not this guy is being given more of his own. He's been given more to work with. Hence, his commission will be better. Hence, he will live better. The other thing, and one of the reasons I want to be in Matthew, is in the Luke parable, he takes ten servants, gives them each mina, and goes off to get his kingdom. In the Matthew parable, it is different. He gives each servant a different amount According to that servant's capability these are people working for the master and he knows them so he goes ten, five, and one and the ten, five, and one are in accordance with his estimation of the ability of each servant whereas in the Luke passage it appears he just grabs ten servants gives them each a menu so that's a very different thing what I want to talk about for just a minute is this will seem like a non sequitur but it's not. There's a guy named William Wildblood I have no idea who he is but he has written a series of blog posts on the concept of equality and one of the things that's happened in the United States and in fact in the West is the idea of equality has become a quasi-religious thing and what Wildblood says is it is not biblical and notice that in the Matthew passage the servants were entrusted with resources each according to his ability furthermore each was rewarded according to his performance. And what Wildblood said is this idea of equality actually came into favor in the 18th century. As I am fond of saying, Thomas Jefferson was a hippie, and so when he wrote the declaration he wrote in there that all men are created equal. He was a product of the Enlightenment, so-called, and he wrote into the declaration all men are created equal and that has become in the United States sort of a founding mantra for everybody if you don't believe everybody's equal you're some kind of an evil person it was also enshrined in the French Revolution liberty equality fraternity was their mantra there so this idea of equality is firmly embedded in Western thought Wildblood's assertion is it's demonic. That's what got my attention. This idea of equality, per se, is demonic. It came out as a result of ossified aristocracy. In the case of the French Revolution, you had Marie Antoinette let them eat cake, an aristocracy that was completely out of touch and so forth and so they were trying to get rid of that and of course when people do that stuff the pendulum never comes back to the middle it always swings over to the other side and so we are right now seeing the other side wild said and this is obviously true that all of creation is based on inequality it's based on differences before God said let there be you had perfect equality Sort of this gray goo that everything was exactly the same. And what God did is said, all right, let's bring light out of that. So light now is separated. Let's bring animals out. So those are separated and so forth. The closest thing that you get into equality is an ant colony. But not quite, because an ant colony is hierarchical. You have a queen and you have all the workers. The All the workers are equal. The queen is above them. Bacteria are pretty much equal. But as you come up the evolutionary chain, what happens is you get more and more differences, and that's by design. So we're designed to be different. As I'm fond of saying, if Ken and I were exactly the same, then why did God make two of us? We're not exactly the same, nor should we be. The thing that's the hook here is, in fact, biblical. The Bible says you must not discriminate in judgment. And I will read you the passages out of Exodus and Deuteronomy. Exodus 23, 2. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many, so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to the poor in your lawsuit. If you're going to have a court, you cannot look at the status of the defendant and make your decision based on that. That's why the metaphor in the United States is justice is blind. That's what that means. You cannot discriminate based on Characteristics, whether that characteristic be race, sex, wealth, whatever. Justice has got to be blind. Deuteronomy 16. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes. They shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe binds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So justice is firmly established in the Torah, firmly established all over Scripture. No question about that. But what's happened is we have conflated justice with equality. You can tell they're different. They're spelled differently. Two different concepts. Equality is evil. Justice is good. So what happens is equality before the law has simply become equality. Once equality is escaped, it winds up going everywhere. That's what we're seeing in our society. Equality escaped the idea of justice before the law and has become equality in everything. So now what we have are things like, well, if this company doesn't have employees that demographically match the population, then clearly they're evil because they are not doing equality. That's nonsense. I'm an engineer, and one of the things when I was back in CU years ago is there was this big push to get women into engineering. Well, I don't know of anybody that kept women out of engineering. It's just most of them weren't interested. But you have this big push to artificially make it the same. That's foolish. And what you wind up having to do in order to have that happen is you have to change your standards. A story that I read some lady worked for a software company. She was a programmer. She wrote a blog and she said, I finally quit. And the reason I quit is I saw programming as a job. I would come in there at whatever time in the morning, work till the end, and I'd go home. My male programming contemporaries would program on weekends. They would have phone calls where they worked together. In other words, it was the thing that they really liked. I was just doing it for a paycheck. And she finally realized, wait a minute, they're the ones who should be doing it. I'm in the wrong business. So Let me go do something I actually like. So this idea of equality has polluted all sorts of stuff. One of the things that is clear in Scripture is God is hierarchical. Our nobleman is going to receive a kingdom. He is going to be the king. He has servants. This one is a really good money manager. That one's okay. This one is fearful and timid, and we're not going to use him anymore. Everything is hierarchical in Scripture. So the idea that everything should be just equal and uniform is counter to Scripture, which is why Wildbud asserts that it's probably demonic. In the Luke passage, Luke nineteen fourteen. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And then down in Luke 19:27, when he gets back. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So for those of you who are into the gentle Jesus. Um, when he comes back, it is not going to be the gentle Jesus it is going to be eyes like a flame of fire and what we have in the Luke parable clearly as they say he's talking to the crowd in Jericho what's being said is he is the master he is going away while he's gone lots of people are going to say we don't want him back and when he comes back, he's going to find those people who did not want him back. And that's where we're talking the Lake of Fire, Battle of Armageddon, all that kind of stuff. That's what's going on there. Those people who do not want him to rule over them, he'll simply destroy them. Pretty straightforward, I think. The final thing that I'll talk about, and then I'll quit, is the Olivet Discourse. Indeed, pretty much most of the Gospel. Yeshua talks about, I'm leaving my servants in charge. Each of you has his duties. It may not be investing. It may be any number of other things. These two parables are specific to investing resources. And by the way, I think talent is a wonderful pun in the English language. Not in any other language, it just happens to be a pun in our language. The point is he has given each of you talents. What he expects you to do is invest those talents in his service. And what you can't do is fear to use your talents in his service, which is to say Let his enemies intimidate you. His enemies are very strident. They do not want him to rule over them. And so what you can do is you can be afraid of his enemies, and you cannot invest his talents that he has given you in his service. The other part of that is, it's been now 2,000 years, and in both of those parables, it's talks about him going away on a long journey. How long, we obviously don't know. He says very clearly that no man knows the day or the hour. So predicting is a waste of time. But what he did tell you to do is do the things that he has given you to do while he's gone. Increase his kingdom. That's what investing your talents is for, is to increase his kingdom. As I said earlier, with a manager, it is perfectly acceptable for you to take a commission. He's not expecting you to be poor. He's not expecting you to invest his stuff and nothing for you. No, that's not what it is at all. What he expects you to do is do what he told you to do, and he will then prosper you and take care of you.